G'day and welcome to another episode of Crate Expectations. Tom Kennedy here with our first instalment of Introduce Yourself for 2023, featuring Matthew Goldman, Press and Advertising Director for the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Matt has been with the festival for 30 years and shares with us the history and culture of the event and why it could only happen in New Orleans. We also talk about the incredible lineup for this year's event and some memorable moments from years past, including Bruce Springsteen's moving performance after Hurricane Katrina. There's also some insight into a new tradition from New Orleans institution Tipitina's, which launched a subscription record club during COVID, sharing deep cuts from New Orleans and the Gulf South. Thanks to Matt for his time and for speaking so passionately about New Orleans culture. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Crate Expectations, be sure to send that message to the algorithm by liking, subscribing and leaving a rating. Here is Introduce Yourself with Matthew Goldman. Brilliant. Well, Matt, thank you so much for uh, making the time over there in New Orleans. It's uh, it's very timely that we're having a chat with uh, your festival lineup having just been announced. And once again, it seems like you've got every incredible artist that is available in April to come down to this event. Well, it's great to catch up with you again, Tom. So, uh, yes, and giving me the opportunity to, you know, talk about what I love to talk about, which is New Orleans and Jazz Fest, certainly. But, yeah, Jazz Fest schedule came out on the 13th of January. And, uh, you know, we, it, everybody calls it here Jazz Fest. To, you know, the official name is New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it Jazz Fest, but it is not a jazz festival specifically. <laughs> it's New Orleans, the birthplace of jazz. It's a good marketing name. Uh, but just so everybody's aware, it's Dead and Company. It's Ed Sheeran. It's Lizzo, Mumford and Sons, Lumineers, Santana, Robert Plant, Allison Krauss, Steve Miller Band. We have 14 stages. We have wow. uh, over 600 bands. Um, so you have a visual, it's a, at our local horse track. So it's a mile horse track, turf, dirt. We have a grandstand, a parking area. We have 14 stages out there of every kind of music. So not just jazz, but we certainly have traditional jazz tent, a contemporary jazz tent. Um, but we have a, uh, blues, a gospel tent. Um, we have a Cajun Zydeco, we have a international stage, and then we have a few other, the main stages per se, which would have your, you know, your dead and companies, your Ed Sheeran's. And it's kind of unique because it, it's a music festival that goes from uh, 11 AM to 7 PM. Mm. So it's not, it's odd that, you know, I've been there. My daughter has been there and my mother has been there. You know, we all go, cause you know, when it ends at seven, yeah. Everybody can do that. It doesn't yeah, end at two right. in the morning, you know. So my mother goes to get, you know, she can't wait. She's, oh, that Lenny Kravitz was awesome. You know, you get those kind of <laughs> things where you, people that wouldn't think about, you wouldn't go to the Lenny Kravitz concert, mom. But, you know, to see him at Jazz Fest, that kind of thing, it gives everybody an opportunity. So, yeah, the festival is a uh, two weekend, half a million people from all around the world. And uh, it is all New Orleans we have over 600 bands and 500 or so are from New Orleans in the region. So that, uh, that's something that's, you know, keeps that jazz fest unique and specific to New Orleans is the fact that so many of the bands are right there in your neighborhood. They, yes. And New Orleans has, because of its history, New Orleans has so much musical talent here, but we're not on the radio that much. We're not known or, you know, it's hard to say who the biggest, you could say Fats Domino, certainly, but the biggest bands, you know, from the 50s and 60s, you could name a few or even the 70s. But we're not on the radio. We're not commercially successful in that sense. But the amount of talent and music we have, you know, even if you say jazz, well, you know, jazz is only so much commercially, you know, blues, gospel, Cajun, Zydeco, all that stuff. But you have the we have the best talent of that. But it's not so commercial and you're not going to go see it. But when you come to New Orleans and you do experience it and it's there and it's beautiful environment, that's when you're like, oh, my goodness. So for us to go out and present 600 bands from Louisiana, that is, uh, you know, it's not that hard. And it's amazing because you don't know who they are. Not you. Just the first time you come to New Orleans, if there's 600 bands from New Orleans and Louisiana, you know, you're going to know about 10 of them. And then when you come down here, you'll start to learn and they're superstars within their own right. It's just they're not, you know, name and popular. 
And so for the for the non-locals or the first-time Jazz Fest goer, who are those uh, the sort of staples of that community that, that, you know, are playing that event every year and also playing the local bar and, and playing the circuits in New Orleans? Well, we're 50, this is going to be our 53rd year at this point. So we have a lot of those people that have grown up through the years, the festival uh, as a career, the mm. musicians, the, the, the meters, were one of the bands that from the seventies uh, started Alan Toussaint. They were the studio band for Alan Toussaint and Sea Saint mm-hmm. Studios recordings. And, and Alan played for years and years and he passed away, uh, not that long ago. Um, but when you think of New Orleans like that from the Neville brothers, Dr. John, the meters, uh, unfortunately, a lot of those people are passing on the meters now. Uh, Art Neville has passed away, the keyboard player, but the drummer Zigaboo Modaliste is playing this year. The guitar player Leo Nocentelli has his own band this year. George Porter Jr., the bass player. So they've played for years. So you keep that thread going. The more current things like be a trombone shorty. And he's the kind of guy that grew up at the festival. I think there's pictures of him at when he's five and six years old playing wow. with Bo Diddley. Uh, and now he has become a touring, you know, superstar. And he closes the festival every year uh, on one of the big stages. So, you know, we have a lot of the Radiators and Anders Osborne and the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, just New Orleans favorites. Mm. And a lot of people, again, this is the only time they may see these bands not that they don't play some of them do some of them don't uh but not everybody goes out and sees music every day and has the opportunity to see these kind of bands uh so even if they're from new orleans whether they're accessible to everybody to go out and whether they play enough but so jazz fest kind of pulls everybody together uh but we have a wealth of that across every uh genre of music so even gospel you know you're not going to go to a gospel church necessarily if you're not if that's not your church but all of a sudden you go to the gospel tent you're seeing these groups and we have such a um, a history of these uh, patrons coming year after year. They get familiar with the mm. bands and the groups and things. So that's, you know, some of the don't miss or, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, I don't miss so-and-so in the gospel tent. Yeah. And you're like, holy cow. You know, you would never say that or, you know, think about that. So you mentioned uh, at the top, it's not uh, entirely a jazz fest. The ja- name is slightly misleading. It's it's a jazz and, and pop fest. But it, it's from the birthplace of jazz and, and started more than 50 years ago. You want to just maybe share a bit of, of that history and how this event came to life and, and why, as you say, it could only happen in New Orleans? Yeah, I mean, it's known as the birthplace of, of jazz, but I argue it's, it's the birthplace of American music down here because it was, a, you know, way, way back, 1700s, it was the third largest city in America, the largest port in America. It was not, and how America was settled, it was not a British colony. Those stopped right before Mm. Louisiana. It was French, it was Spanish, it was French again. It was never British. But more than that, unfortunately, it was also, like I said, that port city that had the African slaves that came in. So for 250 years, we're talking about it, and Mm. hundreds of thousands uh, so that mixture of in New Orleans being that port city and the slave trade that African, whether it be free or enslaved people of color, uh, mixing with the Spanish and the French and not mixing with the British. And you have the Native Americans were based here. That kind of piece that rumbled together over hundreds of years and created what New Orleans is right now. But it didn't happen anywhere else. So when we talk about jazz, it was also the blues. It was also... Cajun right. Zydeco, just from not that far away, uh, the gospel. So it was all R&B. It all is, you could argue, came from this area. Uh, and then even in the U.S. spread from there. So I would argue it's greater than that. And I think that's what the festival presents. And that's what New Orleans is, is that melting pot of all that different musical culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so the festival presents that, but certainly it is known for jazz more than anything. And And so, I mean... You talk about the lineup that is for this year's event, but the f- the first event itself, I think, in its current form, nineteen seventy, Louis Armstrong and, and Duke Ellington. I mean, it had some some pretty good names from the top. It was, and it was, it, it wasn't much different than it is now. The model was the model. It was a mm. multi stage daytime event. We had food, crafts, uh, blues. 
street parades, gospel, jazz, and there were night shows also when you're talking about a Duke Ellington and a Mahalia mm-hmm. uh, artist. But it was really what it was during the daytime, which is great to think that thread continued. But it was jazz heavy at that time. But certainly your gospel and your brass bands and street parades. But that's where the Mardi Gras Indians came together um, for the first time in a parade, which is again another thing that we've spoken previously about, which is only in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And that's where this culture is only in New Orleans. And when you fly to New Orleans, you land in Kenner, Louisiana. And I always tell people that's not New Orleans. There's no Mardi Gras Indians. There's no brass bands. Uh, there may have some food. There may be some other things of this culture, but there's no that jazz. There's no jazz in Canada, Louisiana. It's just different. Uh, so New Orleans is very deep in culture. It's hundreds and hundreds of years of culture, but it's not very wide. I think it's about five miles wide of culture. So you just think of all that, this tightness of it, mm. the French quarters where everything got settled originally, which is probably a, 15 by eight block radius. And then everything came off of that. There were swamplands keeping people away and keeping people in. So it is just an amazing place that only in New Orleans. So at the festival, we present that food. That food is only in New Orleans as well. We don't have hamburgers. We don't have pizza. We don't have hot dog, all those funnel cake that you would think all these, whatever. It's shrimp 16 ways. It's crabs. It's all the foods that we have here. It's gumbos, the red beans and rices. So it's just that unique, again, only in New Orleans, but all we're doing is presenting that New Orleans culture that we have every day. It's incredible that you said the the format hasn't really changed. How did uh, so George George Wine is sort of the the guy that that brought this all together. How uh, um, do you know how he kind of came up with that from the top? Did it just make sense for for New Orleans or for the artists? You know, because it it really hasn't changed. Other than now, there's a lot more pop artists. George was a visionary. He started. In America, he started American Music Festivals. In 1954, he was he produced the Newport Jazz Festival, uh, which was the first uh, American festival. And in 1959, it was the Newport J- uh, Folk Festival. So the jazz in 54, folk in 59. So he was doing festivals. 1965 is when Dylan went electric, uh, had the... Uh, the stampede at the festival. So that's mm. a historic thing. Some of your listeners may be aware of that event. Um, so George was a legendary figure here. He was brought down to New Orleans to said, hey, we want to do the jazz festival down here. And this is the mid 60s. And he came down. He says, no, no, man. This is how he kind of talked. No, man. <laughs> You've got so much culture and so much music. You want to you've got to celebrate it. You want to present what you've got here. And he was here in the 60s. He was married to a black woman. He's a white man, married to a black woman. And in the 60s, um, the laws hadn't changed and such. So that wasn't acceptable here and necessarily. So he couldn't bring these great jazz musicians to New Orleans and stay in the same hotels and stay in the eat at the same restaurants and all these things. So he's like, no, I could never bring them here anyway. And I won't do that. So then they called him back and said, we're ready. They did a festival one year. It didn't work. And then they said, we're ready. And the laws had changed. Okay. So he's like, okay. And with that, he hired two local people that they found, which was Quint Davis and Allison Minor, to bring the local people, to bring what that localness was. So that's when they identified all that different kinds of music and the multiple stages and the food and the parade. And Quint was a, got an 18-year-old college kid at the time. And Quint is now has been the the thread of the fed been the producer of the festival since that time wow so in 1970 quinn started working with george and as long with allison and then quinn is still here allison passed away years ago unfortunately but quinn is still here the producer of the festival and still the vibrant energy of it and a a part of that uh from the outset a part of it has been supporting the community as well hasn't it there's there's a sort of a uh, a charitable arm to the event as well. 
Well, because of George and his history with the musicians and his wife and what happened in the South, and he's a Jewish man from the North, he was unhappy with that. So he created the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, which is the nonprofit that, and he gave them the festival. Wow. And the job of the, and the foundation was there. It's a nonprofit to help the community and celebrate the culture and uh, celebrate the culture and perpetuate it. Well, you know, he kind of says in his book, it's the worst thing he ever did because <laughs> lost control of this thing. And, but he gave them the event. So they are the charitable arm. They own the festival and they have these wonderful year round programs. The festival makes a lot of money. They have a lot of donations separate from that, the foundation, because they have these wonderful programs which teach jazz music, the Heritage School of Music, where they have um, teaching music. They're basically trying to make a lot of their program is giving that next generation an opportunity to learn the music, produce the music program, to learn how the music production element of it is. So they are there to help when the COVID came around, a lot of grants, mm -hmm. they gave out millions of dollars of grants to musicians and artist-based um artist-based people and so they're a year-round entity they do different festivals throughout the year so yes george created that they've got the foundation they've george passed away donated some money uh a few years ago and they have the george and joyce wing center he and his what named after he and his wife and they do performances there and they have uh the trombone shorty foundation which is that artist that finishes the close of the festival every year, mm -hmm. has a nonprofit. They partner together to teach jazz music in schools. Um, so it really is a, a trying to perpetuate and make sure the culture continues. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of the people involved with, with the festival from the organizational side stay there for a lot of years. I think that's, that's the case for yourself as well, right? How long have you, how did you get involved and how long have you been with the festival for? You know, it feels like a long time. It doesn't feel like a long time, but when I say it, it, it is a long time. So uh, Quinn's been there since 1970. So I guess his this is nine, you know, 2023 now. So yeah. 53 years. Wow. I started as a. I feel still like a little puppy, but I started in 1992, so 30 years wow. ago. And uh, you know, it doesn't feel that long ago. And I remember attending the festival as a fan and being like, Oh my goodness. And then to be on the other side of it. And I work in the advertising, marketing, public relations, media side. So mm -hmm. a lot of the things you may see and hear, uh, I get involved with. So working on how, you know, that marketing, how it looks, what the, you know, what the talking points might be, how the feel of the festival might be out to the public, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it has changed and evolved, but we really just like, you know, George has done since 1970, it's the same festival. We promote New Orleans. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like something that we have this museum where we have to dust off all this culture and we bring it out for Jazz Fest. We're like, oh, this is good. This was great. We did this years ago. All these Mardi Gras Indians and all this music that we have, the the evolution of gospel music and blues and New Orleans music and all these things and the food elements, it's all living, breathing. And that's what we present. And it's, you know, and it, because it's only in New Orleans and throughout, you can't get it anywhere else. Mm. We can't take this jazz fest and move it to New York and LA. We've tried. It doesn't work. Okay. It's only because it's here. The people understand. And, and New Orleans, if you haven't been in New Orleans, it's hard to understand what it's like. It's mm. hard to culturally, everybody's your best friend. You're going to walk down the street. Everybody's going to talk to you. You know, you're participating. We have parades. You don't watch the parade go by. You get in it. You know, you know, that's, <laughs> it's just a different, you walk down the street with a drink in your hand. Everybody's an adult. No, you know, there's an openness here and, a, mm. a, you know, it encourages people to participate and, you know, kind of encourage you to let your freak flag fly a little bit more than you might in some places. And, when you find and like-minded people gravitate. So that kind of byproduct of those people talking and milling and mm -hmm. you know, a lot comes out of that. You know, we don't just hang in our houses and kind of isolate. There's a lot of togetherness. So that COVID was hard for us. I bet. I bet. And, and I guess, uh, um, you know, with your role, the, the last few weeks or months would have been pretty busy getting ready for this lineup announcement. I know the, um, the video that, that comes out every year that announces the lineup is is a big deal. The poster is a big deal. The the um, art, the bespoke art that's specific to um, each event. You know what what's the process of 
you know, when do you get to sink your teeth into, okay, we're ready to start promoting 2023's event? It's, we usually wait until, you know, you get through the one event and you get to the next one. You're like, okay, let's think about it over the summer. We used to have different, and through the years it has evolved over Mm. 30 years. Of course. The process has evolved differently and how you promoted it. There was no video in yeah. 1992 when I started. I remember you faxed the press release over with a typewriter that you typed it on and you faxed it to the media. And so there's no website, there was no email. So it was just, wow. it has evolved in the looks and feels. So when I go back and see some of those things, they used to be things we handed out around the city. And But word of mouth has really always been the biggest thing, but the marketing of the festival, the look and feel usually happens after the last one is finished. But now we've changed kind of how we do some of this with some of the agencies and some of the people we've Mm -hmm. worked with. So actually working on it now for next year, we take a lot of pride in that video and that poster, you know, uh, doesn't always hit a home run. Sometimes we hit a single (laughs) seldom do we strike out, but, uh, it's certainly, you know, some of them through the years were more were more proud of than others, but uh, everybody just wants to see who's playing. What's consistent is we know what New Orleans is, mm. and that's what we're presenting. We're not trying to bring something in and be the newest, the thing on the block, and be the, we are New Orleans. So not that we don't evolve and not that we don't move forward, but it's always going to be New Orleans in the forefront. So that might be food, it might be music, it's social aid and pleasure clubs and second line parades, it's Mardi Gras Indians. It is, might be the, you know, the cityscape of New Orleans is known with the Superdome, uh, the big structure in the city. So with the river, Mississippi River there. So there's some visual things. Certainly some of the foods are visual. So we lean into that. Uh, We have so many elements that are only in New Orleans and we're always going to be that. Um, So that's why the consistency is there. Um, And there's the right, but within that, there's the right feel. Right. Everything in New Orleans, we all do that, that consistent of, uh, you know, you may want to riff off of New Orleans culture, but I feel like that the, the history we have all together is the, the, the way to do it, the right feel of the way to do it. How has the festival's promotion evolved over that time? The one thing that has not changed, which is the thing that probably still to this day is the most valuable is word of mouth. Mm. Because we have half a million people come. And if you've never been to New Orleans, it's hard to understand New Orleans until you get here and you start to see things and you get comfortable. But when you get when you have been here, like Jazz Fest, most of the people, when they come, half of our audience is out of town. Five okay. percent is international. So those people, when they get on the airplane from New York to come here or L.A. or San wherever it happens to be, that plane is different because they all know they're coming to New Orleans. It's festive. It's it's a whole different <laughs> vibe and feeling because, again, it's only in New Orleans that this happens. So the word of mouth and that love of the city and that festival, I am still amazed by, but it's what through the seventies really got it to blow up, which is uh, we have a big university here, Tulane university. A lot of people from outside the city, uh, outside the state go there. So those people took it back to the Northeast, took it back to the big cities of, and then new Orleans itself spread. It's, you know, new Orleans being the thing that if you come to new Orleans, you love it. If you're that kind of person, you you know, if you can get out of the French quarter, you get, you know, and you see new Orleans, you're like, Oh yeah. I'm coming back. And that's what Jazz Fest was that vehicle for a lot of people over the last 50 years. And you have to understand, it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to be drinking in the streets and parading. Not everybody wants to be seeing music and not everybody, you know, there's potholes of this city and there's, you know, every city has its pluses and minuses, but Mm. it's different. We say only in New Orleans again, if you value what is here and you can feel it and, and taste it and enjoy it and make it work financially, it, it, it attracts those people and the it also attracts their friends. So right. these people that can't may, may not live here, they may have gone to college here, their friend went to college here, or they came down to visit years ago. Uh, they go back to wherever they live. They come back at some point. We just, we, I do I work on the marketing study and every year since I've been doing the study that when you come to jazz fest, your first year, you come for five, the next five years. Wow. And I don't do anything. Even my best vacations, 
I mean, if Australia was closer, Tom, I'd be there more <laughs> often. But that was one of my better vacations. And, and vi- I can't, even in the States, some, I don't do anything two, three, four years yeah. old. My best things in life, but to come to Jazz Fest, to come to New Orleans, and some of it, it's only in New Orleans, this is great, but also that 11 to 7, because you're not just going to a music festival, you're going to right. a city then. So what happens is at 7 o'clock, 7.15, we're done. You go back to your hotel, your Airbnb, you hang out with friends, wherever you're doing it. We have, you know, probably 150 different music clubs within five miles uh, that have music from the moment the fairground stops, the festival stops till sunlight the next day. So we've got that. We've got, you know, restaurants. So some of the, you know, a thousand restaurants of the finest, most unique foods and greatest dining experiences. If it's not just a crawfish boil and it's fine dining, anything in between. Mm -hmm. So people do it their own way. So when you end at seven, you know, you have, our audience is slightly older than most festivals would be. We've got a 40 and over audience. Okay. You know, that audience has money. They travel here and they go to the festival, they go to the restaurants, they go see music or they don't. They go home or they go hang out and go to a you know Frenchman Street or go to bars. You know, there's various things, but it's almost like there's multiple days within a day. Yeah. Which I think is more mature adult fun in a sense. And if we the festival went from noon till 2 a.m. I think that just sections out some people that just don't want to do that as much. And, you know, not that the same music wouldn't be there, but I don't think the same, the city wouldn't be there. The draws would be totally different. So as much as the festival is great, the city and the time, and it all really works together. Mm. You, you mentioned the, your trip to Oz a few years ago, um, which is where we met. And, and you were there partly to speak at this um industry event about resilience and um and recovery obviously uh your community went through that uh you know horrific hurricane katrina experience you know obviously spoke about the immediate um effects of that event and the time that it took for that immediate recovery Uh, but you also spoke about the resilience of the community and in part the role that the culture of the city had to play in everyone's collective recovery. I mean, it's probably not a stretch to say that um, the festival and the elements of the festival, the music, the food, the people, played a a role in getting that community back on its feet. Yeah, I think there's, you know, unfortunately in this world, there are natural disasters, there are man-made disasters. Things happen Mm. and we all, you know, we have that a term that seems to flow around this country of when events Boston strong when they these Boston, these bombings for Boston Marathon and such and Philly strong and this and everybody's strong so everybody's resilient it doesn't matter where you are you had the, when I was down there it was tied to the floods mm-hmm. the epic floods that were in there uh, in your country so but we all want to be and we all resilient in our own humans are resilient but what. I was referencing there to your point is that kind of ties to that only in New Orleans event. Mardi Gras Indians and social aid and pleasure clubs and some of this, it doesn't exist anywhere else. So if you're this Mardi Gras Indian and you spend your whole life beating and and um, sewing these feathers and making, working with your tribe and the songs and all that, and that's what you do. And that's a hobby. That may not be, a, mm. that's most likely not your career. That's a hobby and you spend that, but it's also, a, it's like a community group that you're with and these best friends. And so that's where it comes from of a, helping the neighborhood and the social aid and pleasure club is a similar thing back in the day of these African-American neighborhoods and groups that helped, if, you know, there somebody passed away or whatever needed help in the neighborhood. This was like the clubhouse or helped it out and it came out of that. And every year there's a second line parade. They come out in their neighborhood and they hire a brass band. We parade through the streets, a thousand people dancing in the streets with a brass band. And that's a second line parade. And that comes from the jazz funeral tradition. And again, mm-hmm. only in New Orleans, you know, even death in New Orleans is something we celebrate, which is kind of an amazing thing. And that jazz funeral where you, you have this somber parade to the cemetery. You put the body in the ground and then the brass band strikes up and we celebrate life yeah. and we dance. So, so many of those things, but the resiliency, what it's all tied to is it doesn't exist anywhere else. So 
much like the people that gravitate here. I'm not from New Orleans, but I gravitated here because I saw it and I love it and I'm immersed in it. So many other people are here, but then you also have the people that are born in it, that they're generationally in it, that they don't know any different and that they're going to be a Mardi Gras Indian. And you can't be a Mardi Gras Indian in Baltimore, Maryland or Denver, Colorado by yourself. So, you know, you can do some other things. And and there's certainly people from New Orleans that left after Katrina. Yeah. But the cultural piece really was a thread that I always thought a lot of it people would be tied to because you can't do what you do, whether it be professionally or socially for a hobby or experience anywhere else. So I thought that was always going to be a, mm-hmm. a something that because it's only in New Orleans, it would keep it thriving. Whereas some other places, I think, may not as much as that love of the whatever town they live in at some point it may not exist where that can you know you may have to move yeah and people yeah. will slowly do that because there's not a tie enough to it other than some the roots of your home and some history mm-hmm. which is different so yeah but i think that cultural element helped us a lot and, and do you think uh you know it is given it's almost 20 years ago has that had a, a lasting impact on on new orleans or has you know has the community fully recovered from that experience because you know we know ourselves in in queensland um you know natural disasters can have a really you know trying and traumatic effect i think what happened in new orleans for katrina was a horrible horrible thing and a lot of people lost their lives and their livelihood and it forced a lot of my friends to leave but there were a lot of good things which is a lot of it is the amount of visibility on New Orleans and the culture of New Orleans and the money that flowed in, because it was not like COVID that was hit the whole country. Mm. It was only New Orleans. So people did, you know, wrote, you know, there were fundraisers for us all around the country, the federal government, all these things poured into New Orleans, plus all the coverage, the media coverage of New Orleans and people learned what a Mardi Gras Indian was maybe, or this special culture of what we had. So we had that jazz fest, we it was August of uh, 2005 that we had the uh, Katrina, right. and then the next April. So you know we still had eight nine months until, mm. but eight nine months after Katrina, you still had, you know, there's no water here, but you still had people that were displaced. The musicians were displaced. I mean, it was a mess. Could we have it? But just having it, you touched on it earlier. Just having that event again, that all these people get behind and really love. And it was another thing of, we love to celebrate us. Mm. That's the one, we really love us. And (laughs) to be able to get together and congregate and celebrate New Orleans and celebrate Jazz Fest. And uh, during COVID, we didn't have a Jazz Fest. So the dates that were announced about a month before we canceled Jazz Fest in March, uh, that's when it hit us, whatever, 2020. And that was the first time it had ever been canceled in its exactly. 50 year history. We had a day or two with rain and things like that, the natural stuff, but never had canceled the festival. So when we had that, it was a, in March, I remember we were working on it. And then all of a sudden the first case came and then the second, you're like, oh my goodness. And two weeks later it was canceled. Um, that they wound up, we wound up doing something with the radio station that the Jazz and Heritage Foundation, the nonprofit that owned Jazz Fest, they also own a community radio station. So they wound up broadcasting live seven days, just like the festival, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., uh, live sets that they do from Jazz Fest wow. through the years. So you got to hear Dizzy Gillespie and B.B. King and the and the Meters and Professor Longhair and all these people through the years, all those dates. And it was really an amazing thing related to Katrina in a way, because people were moved. It was emotional for people to think, wow, you know, for me specifically, you get a little close to it and you're like, it's just a music fest. You know, it's music. We go out there, we have some food, we drink some beers and, you know, it's cool seven days a year, but to see the emotion it brought uh, to people uh, was amazing. And uh, you know, during COVID and to see how that, and even the one after Katrina, which I have to say Bruce Springsteen played that festival after Katrina and he he asked to get a tour of New Orleans when he came down to the festival yeah. and he drove around the Ninth Ward and the flooded areas and he knew the history of New Orleans musically and yeah. wanted yeah. to see physically in that and he came up and played and uh, 
I remember. And it was one of those things that we all still talk about. It was one of those events where he started playing the set and then he went into City of Ruins and, you know, mm. looking at your city and he's playing, which is a somber thing, talking about Asbury Park, where he grew up, his city of ruins and to know what New Orleans was like. And there are 55,000 people there and every one of them has a tear in their eye. And I wow. still remember it. And, you know, the Los Angeles Times reporter wrote he was there and he's like, if there was ever a more emotional music experience uh, in the history of music, I've never seen it. There's a blood red circle on the cold dark ground and the rain is falling down The church door's thrown open I can hear the organ song But the congregation's gone My city of ruins My city of ruins You know, just to, you know, to be part of that and to see that and Bruce Springsteen connecting and it was just wonderful. So, yeah, you know, the power of music. And that's, I believe that was the year, the theme, the poster that you talked about and the the tagline was bear witness to the healing power of music. Wow. And I'll tell you, there's hugging and kissing and, you know, chills in my arms to this moment thinking about it. And it doesn't feel that long ago. When you think 18 years, but uh, yeah, so you have those lines in the sand. We went through, we're going through COVID now, that line and, you know, but we're all resilient. And that's why we, especially down here, we want to celebrate and make sure life is not just nine to five jobs and not just, you know, going to dinner and watching a movie. You know, we want to get out there and celebrate. We're getting ready. We're just in the start of Mardi Gras season here. So Mardi Gras Mm. season has its own music and its own uh, life and theater. And it's something that new Orleans does really well. And again, only in new Orleans, you know, that's what exists here. And we're going to be, a, we're going to be in the streets with our neighbors dressed as God knows what this year. And we'll have people, <laughs> through, you know, floating, we'll have parades and it's just a wonderful, wholesome, something the kids do and the grandparents do, we all do it together. And, you know, it's just a, another only in new, new Orleans experience. You touched on uh, obviously the the experience that everyone went through and that the festival went through with COVID. One of the things we talked about um, that started, I think, started during COVID was this new subscription model with uh, the Tipitina Record Club. Is is that is that right? That was one of their initiatives to exactly get came through right COVID. Out of that, came right out of Tipitina's, and Tipitina's has a history. Is the I'd say most famous club in New Orleans started in the seventies by these 14 guys, none of them famous, none of them wealthy, just music lovers Mm -hmm. wanted to have a music club. And there's uh, professor long hair. It's named after one of his songs and you should check up on professor long hair. One of the seminal New Orleans musicians, a lot of reverence for him from history. Um, but not popular by any means uh, and notable commercially, but for New Orleans, uh, he graces the top of the main stage at Jazz Fest, played the festival. Quinn Davis managed him back in the 70s as well. Uh, So Tipitina's has been around since the 70s, had some various owners, had success, Mm -hmm. you know, music club's not always easy, but presented all the Neville brothers and the Radiators and all this music that New Orleans is famous for, Earl King and John... um, Johnny Adams and the Dirty Does and just all this New Orleans stuff. It was the platform. It was the place we could all go uptown. You would go in. It was inexpensive. You were outside. Every You'd see and be seen. New Orleans is such a small town mm. that you would, you know, it was your local thing. So uh, through the years and then uh, had various owners. And then a few years ago, I want to say right before, right before COVID, it was bought by the prior owner passed away and was bought by uh, the band Galactic. Okay. And Galactic is a funk band, guys that moved to New Orleans. Some went to college here, just like a lot of us moved to New Orleans, started a band um, that was kind of a tribute band uh, to the Meters that we've talked about today, which is a funk band, mm-hmm. instrumental funk band. And they've grown from that. Uh, they tour the country, they tour the world. Great band, great guys, friends of mine. They bought Tipitina's to save it. 
Uh, I put a lot of money into it and then COVID hit, which is not the time you want to buy a music club. Yeah, right no kidding. Um, so with that, the music, they are musicians. They know all the musicians. You've got the club. What do we do is what they said. And they created this, you know, let's, this music club. They also did live concerts, you know, on Zoom, like everybody did. Yeah. Uh, and the record club came out of it. And the first thing they did was they put out a Fats Domino live at Tipitina's. I remember being there for that show and Fats was older and it was his last performance and backstage, you know, talking and he was a little, you know, older and a little absent-minded and you never knew and got up on that stage, sat down at that piano and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And it was, you know, it's like he's 20 years old again. Oh wow. Every lyric, everything, bumping the piano, did like four or five, six songs. It was like, oh my goodness. You could just, you know, again, goosebumps where you see that. And Tipitina yeah. is a small yeah. venue, a thousand people, no seats. So, um, so over the last few years, they've done the Fats Domino Live. And then they've also branched out. They've done the Dirty Dozen with Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, they haven't done, just done shows that were live at Tipitina's. Okay. But they Johnny Adams, uh, they did an Etta James, I remember. Uh, and it's a monthly subscription program. Um, so they, every two months, come out with something, and it's fun to get it in the mail. I give it as gifts to people because it's a good, you know, and it's records. You know, people love getting a new record. It yeah. has liner notes. Has uh, It's well curated. So uh, it's a fun thing to get every now and then in the mail and a surprise that it's coming every time. So, yes, so that's been great. And the musicians love it. They do a very small run. Um, but it's great. You know, a lot of these musicians, they're, you know, passed away, their families, not a lot of royalties come in from mm -hmm. some of these artists. So to get them propped up and remind, remember people that again, New Orleans artists, the families sometimes need it, but also need some support, but also just remember that these are, you know, people that made Tipitina is people that made New Orleans. So just to revere them and to celebrate them. So great to see that professor long hair, I think. I saw um, that. I yeah. Know, yeah. I was looking on their website. Ball. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really a great product, uh, you know, it's one, and it's new. You know, it's a new thing, so it's fun to see when it comes out. I mean, one of the things that uh, record collectors and, and music fans love is, is you know, doing deep dives into genres they haven't explored before, discovering new artists. And, you know, I know with, with subscription services like this, you know, these guys are going to be feeding you, uh, you know, stuff from New Orleans and, and the, the Gulf South, you know, that it's a – for a lot of people, probably a genre that they've not explored deeply. You know, they'd know the meters and the radiators, but they would, you know, they wouldn't know the Professor Longhairs of of this community that are so massive in the community. Exactly, and that's what's we in New Orleans here. We have songs, we have artists. Everybody knows who they are until you leave New Orleans, right. and that you know, Mardi Gras is going to be here. We have songs that we all know every word of for Mardi Gras. 20, 30, written by a lot of these same people we talked about mm -hmm. and others. And, and we all know it, but nobody even knows outside of New Orleans. Wow. So the same thing with the artist. It's just not something that for someone, for your listening audience, that's going to be familiar. You may say New Orleans and what happens there. You know, it's a big, it's like saying, I want to listen to reggae music. And then yeah. how do you do that? And you're, and there's a history of that, a hundred years and how you weave that. But certainly they've done a great job of curating that. And when you, you know, in the Spotify's of the world, when you, you know, it's so great. That's what's, those services are great now too. When a Johnny Adams, you're like, well, I don't know Johnny Adams. What's he, you know, and to be introduced to that and go down a rabbit hole of New Absolutely. people. Because a lot of our musicians were written by different, the same people and played together. So there's a lot of interconnectedness. Alan Toussaint, I, that would be my first suggestion is follow Alan Toussaint and the web that he created, the musicians okay. he worked with, uh, you know, not just New Orleans musicians by any means, but the the artists that um, around the world from that he, from Paul McCartney to Robert Palmer to so many other meters with a backing band for a lot of people. So that would be a great jumping off point, certainly. Um, but the Tipitina's Record Club is helpful as well. But certainly those streaming services I mm. find to be great. I've been myself immersing in nineties hip hop lately. Okay. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, there's no, you know, so I've been having fun with that deep dive lately. Well, it, music is a deep, deep well. And, and you just, you know, you never run out of uh, buckets to pull up from it. 
It's yeah. It's certainly as a record collector, a new genre is an excuse to go, you know, get some dusty fingers digging around in, in the back of a record shop. Oh yes. And when you can find some nuggets and you know what you'll, you know, cause a lot of the stuff you just keep flipping, you don't know who they are. Yeah. But when you can get so, you know, when you broaden that scope of knowing another 20 musicians on your radar from new Orleans that may not have been there before. And yeah. So there's certainly a lot of that product out there and Dr. John, another one, all that ties to the meters. And, and then, uh, you know, I'm listening to hip hop right now, like I said, and then all the meters been sampled by more hip hop groups than I can. I mean, so I'm listening to songs. I'm like, Oh my God, that's the meters. I grew up with that song. And yeah, you know, it's amazing how it's all interconnected. Uh, we're organizing right now, depending on when this airs, but, uh, international clash day, the band, the clash, yep. uh, as a big fan growing up. And I believe it's February 5th. Okay. I want to say it's Tuesday the 5th, I believe, uh, this year. And I grew up in the New Jersey area, and I love The Clash, listened to Sandinista, and I didn't have the... My brother had the record. I recorded it. I had a cassette. <laughs> so I listened to it nonstop, and I listened to songs. So when I came to New Orleans as an 18-year-old, there's a song here called Junko Partner, and about a guy that goes to jail and a New Orleans, Louisiana guy that goes to jail and he's a junkie on the street, but it's a famous song. Well, it was on Sandinista. So I heard Joe Strummer and the Clash singing it. So when I came to New Orleans, I was like, wow, look at all these people. They know the Clash and Joe Strummer. <laughs> and stupid me didn't realize it was a Dr. John song and a right. traditional. And Joe Strummer was playing it. So yeah, everything is intermingled. And yeah. however you get introduced to it, uh, it's fun to get introduced to and go down a few rabbit holes of that. And, uh, so that was fun. So, uh, yeah. International clash day. If nobody's, uh, researched that at all, that's something here in the States that's, uh, grown a little bit from a radio station. So, um, before we wrap things up, I want to maybe just, this is put you on the spot a bit. I didn't flag this beforehand, but maybe like, uh, if, if you were talking to someone who's never been to jazz fest and they're going to go this year, what is the must-do itinerary that's outside of the festival? How do they get – obviously, they're going to the festival, but you talked about that. It, it wraps up at 7. How are they getting that authentic New Orleans experience when they're not at the festival watching Dead & Co or Wu-Tang Clan or Herbie Hancock or Buddy Guy? Well, luckily, as I kind of said earlier, we love us and us. So everybody's your best friend and they're going to tell you what to do. And right. even the people from out of town, because they've been coming for so many years, they're experts. So they're going to tell you. So everybody talk to people. If you came here, you can plan it out. You research it out. Most of the bands you're not going to be familiar with. Most of the music venues you're not going to be familiar with. Some are going to sell out. It almost doesn't matter. You have to be flexible and your best times are just going with it. And you're going to wind up being, and you talk to people, you're going to wind up being invited to somebody's crawfish boil in their backyard with a 50 people. And there's going to be a band playing there. And then somebody there is going to be like, oh, that's, oh, you got to go see, come with us tonight. We're going to see so-and-so. And that's what Jazz Fest is. And that's what New Orleans is. And everybody's going to open their arms. Everybody's a tour guide and a host. So... It depends where you stay and what music you like to do and what food you like. Get all that case by case, but open your mouth, open your ears, open your eyes and talk to people. And everybody wants to tell you their, you know, their opinion and what they would do. And uh, it's hard to have a bad time. It really is hard. Just get out, do things, talk to people. And, you know, it's not an expensive city. It's a very accessible city. It's not one of those velvet ropes you can't get in at night type of things. It's just the opposite. So that's why in New Orleans like that year round, but certainly jazz fest time, everybody's your best friend. So it really is a, a wonderful place to come visit. You know, you go some places where there's no eye contact, nobody, you're going to walk down the street, nobody's going to look at you and say hello. And not everybody likes that here. You know, not really, <laughs> a lot of friends I know or feel that strange when we talk and say hello and give you a hug. They're like, Oh, they're touching. What are they doing? <laughs> You know, it's not for everybody, like we say, but for those that like that or get into it a little bit, or even if they dabble from Jazz Fest for a few days and then go back home, it's, I think it's something special these days with everything that's going on in this world. Yeah, spot on. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It's been uh, many years since we've spoken, but uh, really appreciate your perspective on 
New Orleans culture and and sharing, you know, some of the behind the scenes of of the Jazz Fest. Uh, you know, I haven't been yet, but it is on my list. One of these years, I will be there. Well, you know who to look up, certainly, but I appreciate talking about it. It is certainly not a chore. It's a, I'm blessed to be there. Certainly, I enjoy it. I don't even think it's a job. It's more like a hobby. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I appreciate having that platform. And if anybody, certainly, they, you know, you can find it these days on the Google machine, but nojazzfest.com and then the history. But nobody can tell it better than just people that go there and really enjoy it more they're the best mouthpiece for us so uh, thanks for the opportunity tom hopefully we'll get to see have some facetime i'd love to come back there i need an excuse to come back <laughs> and if you make it this way certainly look me up brilliant awesome take care man the groovy guys are tom kennedy dan lozier chris palumbo and matt carvalho with your host tom kennedy music by dan lozier post-production by matt and album art by Chris.